time, the show for go-to-market leaders. My name is Chip House. I'm CMO at Insightly CRM. And today I'm joined by Chris Walker, who's CEO of Refine Labs. Welcome to the show, Chris. Chip, great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Also been enjoying getting to know you in the comments of LinkedIn posts here and again. So looking forward to a live chat. You bet. Yeah, I think we, we sort of know of each other in uh, LinkedIn comments anyway, right? So um, it's, it's great to be talking to you in person. So what I wanted to start with, Chris, so I've been in SaaS actually for like 25 years, right? And I, and I started out uh, in BD, BD SaaS in probably 2001 and focused very much on paid search, outbound and events were kind of my three main go-to-market go motions. And I've heard you talk about how the game has changed significantly and especially in the past couple of years and it's kind of accelerated. Uh, can you talk more about that change and why you think it's changed so much? Gosh, Chip, first off, you're an OG, 25 years, 2001. <laughs> so I'm shout, out, shout out to that. You've probably seen a lot of change going on here. The thing that I want to start to highlight is that the, the general B2B go-to-market motions, while there's more technology around it and companies are now thinking about quote-unquote account-based marketing and blah, 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 the general go-to-market motions have not changed at all. And given how much has changed in the world and how buyers discover things, I think that it warrants at least a discussion or a challenge of how we do things. First one, let's go to, let's go to events. In 2008 or 2012, when your company would boot up and spend 60% of the marketing budget on trade shows and events, or sometimes even higher, why did you do that? It's because the internet had barely matured. You didn't spend that much on your website and B2B buyers went to conferences to discover new innovation and technology at, and they would carefully peruse the booths because that was the main way to discover something. 10, 15. So you learned about new companies, right? Yeah. yeah. And 10, 10 plus years later, a B2B uh, professional or buyer can learn about a company in a million different ways that are so much more efficient for them than waiting until next August to go to your trade show conference and show up at your booth. So I just don't think that events, specifically the booth expense, I think that events are worthwhile for the networking and business development and creating content and doing market research. And there's so many benefits of events, but buying the booth and spending 50% or more of your variable marketing budget on events, trade show booths, that is, I think is wildly misaligned with how the world works today. When you think about outbound, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do outbound. What I am saying is that when you know, the predictable revenue model was published in 2011 and piloted at Salesforce and other companies in the mid 2000s, 2007 and beyond, the only way to get to people was to call them or send them mail or see them at an event. They weren't using the internet. They weren't looking for your company online. And so what did you need to do? You needed to find their contact information because it wasn't readily available in a database like Zoom Info or other ones today. And so you had to find their contact info by scanning their boot, their lead badge at a trade show booth, by trying to get them to fill out some gated content so they gave you your email address, or to try and have them sign up for a webinar. So there, all of the motions to drive outbound were around how do we collect contact information so that we can do outbound, which then drove the marketing strategy around how do we get MQLs or lead volume or oftentimes just contact information, not even really a lead. 
And then lastly, 2001 paid search must have been doing real, real nice. But over the past 20 plus years, paid search has seen a dramatic decline in overall performance. And every single channel will go through this. If you look at television and radio and even like social media ads like Meta and Instagram, they go through the exact same adoption curve where the ad prices are inexpensive at the beginning and the people using the platform don't know that they're ads yet broadly. And so for those two reasons, the ads are a lot more effective at the beginning when you think about overall ROI. And then over time, the channel, more people spend money on there. The quality of how they spend the money goes down. The effectiveness of how a buyer would actually click on that ad and consume it goes down, therefore leading to a much higher cost for the exact same result. Over the past three to five years, I believe, and I've seen at more than 100 B2B companies that I've analyzed myself, there's a dramatic degradation in overall ROI of paid search generally to the point where a lot of companies would be better off only buying their branded or company terms and spending the rest of the money somewhere else, not even buying their category name potentially, just given the, the cost of the ads and the effectiveness of the ads and what the ROI is. And so in B2B companies, we build a bunch of what I would think about as bullshit reports to justify the things that we've been doing for a long time by connecting metrics and other things that typically the ad platforms like Google or LinkedIn or the event, they supply you with these metrics, which obviously are biased toward the thing that they sell you. And so I think that there's just, when I think about the number one challenge in B2B companies, it's the idea that the metrics that get set in a company drive and allow the wrong behaviors by both internal employees, agencies, freelancers, and consultants to to appease those metrics when the real solution is not to go find another agency or to go to like fire your consultant. The real solution is to fix the metrics so that those behaviors don't, aren't allowed to happen anymore. Um, and so that's one of the core things that I'm focused on with my company and for my own personal endeavors is that I think that these types of things shouldn't be happening anymore. And I think that if we were able to change how we score and measure marketing and go to market overall, it would become very clear that these low performing programs should be stopped, decreased, and the budget should be reallocated elsewhere. Yeah, let's well, let's start there because one of the things you had said prior that I thought was super interesting is just defining demand capture versus demand creation, demand generation. And that really kind of was a hot aha moment for me when it, you first mentioned it in a podcast that I saw maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago. I don't know how long ago, Chris, but mm -hmm. um, part of the reason that that's super effective is because as you point out, I think B2B SaaS especially, and a lot of different companies are focused on demand capture, such as paid search, right? Where people are filling up a form, downloading you know, a, a white paper or something like that, and then sending it over to the SDR pro team to call. So, but help me through this. Why is that model broken? And what is demand creation? What, what's the other path? Yeah, so let's uh, let's go back in time because I think this is really interesting because you, when you go back in history, you can see why these things were created and then you can look into the future and say the assumptions of why we created this in the first place no longer exist. We should change what we're doing. And so let's think back to, you know, I worked at a B2B company in 2012 and besides doing a webinar every once in a while and building some trade show booths, the marketing team did nothing to drive actual demand. And that's what was happening for B2B companies for the most part in 2012 and forward. So what happened, and typically you, you didn't have like an AE and an SDR and a solutions consultant and a customer success manager and all this stuff. What did you have? You had one person that was responsible for selling the deals, account managing the deals, expanding the deals, 
and that was their overall role. They were more like a territory manager than an AE. Um, and so in that specific situation, when the marketing team wasn't bringing any demand in, the salesperson was responsible for going out, engaging with the people, educating them and creating demand, then capturing the demand into a sales meeting, then closing it, then having them be successful, then expanding it. And so the, the sales rep was basically responsible for the entire cycle, which is what, the mindset that a lot of people bring about why sales is so important. And I think why sales gets commissioned the way that they do still, which may not make sense anymore today. And then what happened is, oh, marketing needs to drive in the 2012, 2015, marketing needs to be able to drive ROI. We don't, we're not able to measure anything. They need to be able to do these things. So what happened then instead of having the, the sales resource have to actually go and source the contacts, then marketing just took responsibility for getting the contacts. So the SDR could call them to try and book the meeting for the AE, which then created a la predictable revenue and the demand waterfall and assembly line approach to go to market assembly line lead generation marketing does stuff to get leads SDRs, low cost resources, then cold call those leads to try and get them into a meeting. And then once they get into a meeting, the sales rep is supposed to try and close as many meetings as they can into revenue. And each part of that assembly line marketing SDRs and sales are all optimizing for their micro part of the process, not the overall system. And so what does that happen? That's why marketing is able to get 100,000 MQLs in a year and the sales team still misses quota by 40% because marketing's optimizing for the MQL, not for the sales team to hit their target. And so what I think we need to get to is we need to transition from this assembly line lead generation system to an all-bound integrated revenue team where um, you have three main things that you need to do to drive net new business. You need to create demand, you need to capture demand, and then you need to convert pipeline into revenue. Those are the three different things. And then recognizing that marketing, uh, the entire company for that matter, sales and SDRs can play a part in all of those different parts of the process. Smart salespeople are posting on LinkedIn to their target customer to drive awareness, to get in, inbound DMs, to start conversations, to build a personal brand. Smart sales reps are doing that. That's demand creation. Smart marketing teams are hosting field marketing events for people that are in stage four, accounts that are in stage four pipeline to accelerate that pipeline and increase win rates. That's a great move, but it's, it's not exactly what a marketing team did in the assembly line lead generation system. So you can see that smart companies are already moving to this all bound integrated revenue team. The problem is that they still use the assembly line lead generation metrics. And so it de-incentivizes a sales rep to post on LinkedIn and it de-incentivizes a marketing team to post on LinkedIn or to create a podcast or do other things because the metrics are incentivizing MQL volume. Um, and to be frank, it's the, no, it's the number one reason that a customer of, of my company would fail is because they can, they cannot break away from, we need to get as many MQLs as possible with direct attribution, despite the fact that in their data, it's clear that the shit isn't working, but there's yeah. an ingrained mindset for decades now that have been happening here. There are adopted quote unquote, best practice frameworks that drive these things and I'm very focused on building a new framework for B2B companies to operate on because I just see over and over again, predictable revenue and demand waterfall are now failing companies. The main reason is because B2B buyers are much different in 2023 than they were in 2011 when these things were published. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because I've felt the shift, right? And as you, as you talked about, I, I've been doing this for a long time. I did a B2C banner in 1998 that had a 15% click through and it was like a B2C e-commerce, you know, focus. And so downloaded a ton of product just from that one banner. But 
I felt it shift over the past couple of years. And this is something I want to drill into you with, uh, with you, Chris, though, is, for example, demand creation for you as a thought leader, for a person who's sort of a practitioner who's selling your ideas, I think is different than it is for a brand when there's when the alignment between the spokesperson and the product is maybe less there. Can you talk about that a little bit? You get what I'm saying? I get what you're saying, but I don't, yeah. I don't agree. Okay. Let's talk through why. So I see basically three different tiers of demand creation. You have thought leadership, you have product marketing, and you have category marketing. In category marketing, you're marketing the category against your category against the status quo, not you against your competitor. In product marketing, it's typically you against perceived competition. And in thought leadership, it has nothing to do with your product, and it's much more broad than the little space that you play in for your product. The problem in B2B companies is that they are basically only focused on talking about themselves and their product in their little small window that they play in, which makes it very hard for them to be objective thought leaders. And so the thought leadership strategy falls down because they don't act like a consultant. They act like a vendor that's trying to sell you their specific product. So it's not really leading thoughts. And you can tell in their language and how they behave that it's biased. So I think that it, B2B companies should do this and could do it. In the thought leadership category, you need to take the mindset that I'm the best consultant for my target customer or my target account. It's a very hard mindset for a B2B company, a technology vendor or otherwise, to actually live. That's what's hard about it. Product marketing, a lot of companies do it, right? We're building case studies, we're building use cases pages, we build all this different stuff. Where I think companies fail in product marketing is in the distribution. They think about distribution as how do we rank this in a search engine, not how do we take this customer story, put it into seven different creatives, and then run it against all of our target customers on LinkedIn ads to educate them on how a company like them in their industry that's non-competitive was super successful using our product. B2B companies just, I think, fall down in the distribution of this content. And then oftentimes B2B companies, because they're so focused on the competition, like, oh, how are we going to beat blah, blah, blah competitor that they don't market the category at all. They only market against whoever they think that they're competing with. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that marketing the category or the movement that you all are driving at your company then gets you perceived as the category leader when I think that if you're marketing against a competitor, like switch from X to Y, oftentimes what you're doing is actually spending money to advertise your competitor. If you're talking about your competitor and you're paying to, to show them that, oftentimes the people that receive the advertisement will perceive it as an advertisement for your competitor, which is a very odd psychological thing. And so to, uh, to just bring the point home, I think that every company, regardless of what they sell, should be operating in a very similar content strategy using those three core pillars, leveraging both paid and organic distribution to distribute it, not one or the other. And overall, in order to be successful in a thought leadership strategy, you need to take the mindset of, a cons I am a consultant that helps my target customer with everything in their world, not just the little space that I play in. Yeah, it makes good sense. I mean, that's the whole ideation behind the creation of this Closing Time podcast is speaking to go-to-market leaders who often adopt CRM. And the, But just the, it's like the pain points that they think about that they focus on in their everyday jobs and how they can get better, right? I mean, is that essentially what you're focusing on? How fucking boring would this podcast be if it was only about CRMs? 
You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Although I think it's pretty interesting. But I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just never, play it. yeah. I want to drill into what I'm calling the new sales funnel, right? Because I, I think a lot of us have been brought up on the serious decisions funnel. And we talked about this a little bit without talking about the funnel in our last episode. But it was what, 2006 when serious decisions came up with this funnel? you know, MQL, SQL, sales opportunities, et cetera. And many of us are still building our whole go-to-market motion around this. Talk to us why it's broken. Yeah, the uh, Serious Decisions Demand Waterfall was originally published in 2002, which was when the MQL, SAL type of thing came around. And then it was revised in 2012. And a lot of B2B companies, specifically Salesforce automation systems or CRM systems, are built around running this type of demand waterfall model when they think about the lead and the contact object and the opportunity object. And the, so the infrastructure around it is actually built to support this model as well. And a lot of companies are, want to change something about it, but haven't been able to figure out how within their system. So sometimes it's been recommended that you don't track leads anymore. You only track opportunities, which I think is not the right way to do it, but that's what's being recommended by some vendors right now. And when you think about the like the sales funnel overall, here are some of the, the things to be aware of. The first one is that the, this singular funnel assumes that the conversion rate across all quote-unquote MQLs is similar, and it's not. Mm -hmm. It's actually very dramatically different when you drill into it based on the intent that the buyer has, which is clearly signaled in how they enter your sales funnel. It also assumes that all opportunities that are created are equal and win at the same rate and have the same ACV and things like that, which is entirely not true. Opportunity win rates can range from st on a stage two opportunity can range from 3.7% as the lowest I've seen up to more than 50%, depending on the source and the intent of the buyer. And so the entire model breaks down because it's built around how do we put more volume at the top, assuming that all the conversion rates will stay the similar throughout. And therefore, if we put an extra 50,000 in, we'll win an extra 500 deals next year or whatever the spreadsheet says that people model in every year that never works out. And so what I'm suggesting here is that we need an entirely new framework to think about. Whether you want to call it an MQL or an SQL or things like that, we've created different terminology because we believe our, our thinking is different. But the core thing to look at is that a singular funnel is not going to get the job done anymore. Another thing to think about is whether the funnel should be lead-based or account-based. But the idea of a singular funnel is the core issue. I'll make the last point is that in the MQL demand waterfall, there is no distinction between demand capture and demand creation. It's a lead generation machine is what it is. So we need a new go-to-market framework that distinguishes demand creation, demand capture, and demand conversion. We need a new go-to-market framework that's built around accounts, not leads. We need a new go-to-market framework that allows the marketing SDR sales team and the rest of the company to integrate and work together versus in an assembly line. And we need to look at not one singular funnel, but we need to look at multiple different funnels based on aggregated buying intent. So we've recommended that companies break out from one funnel to somewhere between three and six, depending on how mature and sophisticated they are. Those would include what we call pipe, a declared intent conversion on your website. Someone saying, hey, I want to buy now, which is the highest level of intent and has therefore has the largest uh, predictability of sales win rates and sales velocity. You could have another one, which would be account-based marketing or intent data, where we go outbound based on MQA signals or otherwise. 
You could have events, which companies use to capture demand. How are we getting, how are people coming to our events? And then we're converting them into pipeline product led. And there's a couple other ones to consider there. And the reason to break these out is because the win rates and the ACVs and the sales velocities amongst these will be very different. And when you know that, then you can optimize for the go-to-market motions that have the highest sales velocity and the lowest cost of acquisition. Another thing to consider is that what I just laid out is just a methodology to measure demand conversion and demand capture. And we need to think as, as business leaders and people trying to grow businesses, what are we doing to make the market bigger? What are we doing to create demand in the market so that more people are buying things, the market is bigger, and we collect a bigger share of that because we market the category and are viewed as the category leader? Um, the metrics inside of companies do not incentivize that behavior. Um, there are very few, every company out there that glorifies the ones that do do it and they do it well and they grow really big businesses, but the rest of the people that watch them do it and say, that's great, aren't able to do it themselves. And so do I have this one entirely figured out? No, but I believe I've painted a very clear picture of why the current state is totally inadequate and needs to change. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. So I want to drill into that a bit because, you know, people have structured their entire teams around this, right? But I, I, I can definitely guarantee you, we, I've seen the same thing in the past several years that all MQLs, all SQLs are not created the same. There are some channels where the intent levels are higher and there are some others like maybe content syndication where they look, it might look great on the top of the funnel, but they never convert on the bottom of the funnel. And I think a lot of marketers don't know that because they're not measuring it, right? In the first place. And you probably run into that a lot in your business. But um, I think it was last week on LinkedIn, you posted about what you call HERO, H-I-R-O, which is a high intent revenue opportunity, right? Is potentially a replacement for a new focus, a new KPI. Can you talk about what that is? And then also talk us through how would a company go about making that transition? You actually have some impressive case studies on companies that have done so. I'll keep it real simple for you. Hero Pipeline is nothing more than redefining what most people call qualified pipeline using actual performance metrics. And so right now, what do companies consider qualified pipeline? It's different for every company. First off, one company might see it's when they hit stage two pipeline. One other one might be when we booked our first meeting with the SDR. Another one might be when they went through BANT qualification and we say that they're qualified. And none of these subjective qualification models have anything to do with down funnel sales performance. And so what we've decided to do, and furthermore to that, because they don't have uh, a correlation or a deep connection to downstream sales performance, it allows a ton of bad behavior because people in the company, especially ones that are compensated against those metrics, can figure out ways to game them. Mm -hmm. And so people that are compensated on MQLs can get a bunch of, you run content syndication, get a bunch of shitty $50, $50 MQLs that never convert, go and tr like go to your trade show booth and then ask the other seven booths around you to exchange the leads that you got so you can have more MQLs. Um, marketing and SDR teams will um, give away gift cards so they can get more quote unquote SQLs. And then the SQLs to get the gift card sit on the meeting. And then right after they get the gift card, they immediately move to close loss and, and ghost your AE. And that's incentivized inside of the company. What we're doing with Hero Pipeline is basically saying that for each pipeline source, declared intent, pipe, low intent lead gen, product, events, outbound, ABM, that it, the deal must 
advance to a stage that it has a historical win rate greater than 25%. And we use the win rate metric to determine when it's qualified, not BANT. <laughs> and so, and all that does, as we've, as we've shifted the goal in marketing, as you shift it further downstream, it eliminates a lot of bad behavior that marketers do to appease uh, vanity or top of funnel metrics. And so what did they initially do? They were like, marketing, we're going to move from MQLs to SQLs. And then what happened? Just marketers figured out ways to game the SQL metric. And what happened? The win rate of SQLs went down. And then we're going to say, oh, we're going to optimize for qualified pipeline, which is basically the same thing as an SQL in a lot of companies. And then what happens? You figure out how to game that metric, win rates go down, and you just have this continuous uh, misalignment of performance where the marketing metrics and even oftentimes the SDR metrics do not match or correlate with actual sales team or business performance. What better way to get alignment with your sales team than have your marketing team scored on a metric that is directly aligned with revenue? And if win rates go down, they don't, they, the pipe, the number of the amount of pipeline that they generate goes down as well. And if the win rate starts going up, then the amount of pipeline that gets generated is going to keep going up. And so I, I mean, I think yeah. it's a very logical thing. If you ran a manufacturing facility and you were a six Sigma operator, what would you do? You would have that type of stuff involved in the process so that if things were going wrong in the process, you would know. And uh, unfortunately, B2B companies haven't advanced to that level of maturity in terms of holistic process optimization. Every department in the side of the company is optimizing for their parts of the process, but we haven't, and RevOps is supposed to do this, but I'm just being objective here. I just don't see it happening in practice. And so I think that this having a new view would enable CMOs, sales leaders, RevOps professionals, everyone inside of the marketing and sales team to be able to look at metrics in an objective way and make better decisions off of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've seen a marked difference between what we're calling our, you know, high intent channels versus our low intent ones. And, you know, ultimately the one, the channels where people are raising their hand and saying, Hey, I'm ready to buy. I'm ready to talk to somebody are going to close, you know, maybe 20% or greater. Right. And who would have thought, um, yeah. Um, and so one of the things I'd heard you talk about is advocating for, you know, potentially you don't need SDRs in that scenario if somebody's raising their hand. And uh, the immediate objection that I had to that when I heard that, Chris, was, you know, speed to lead is super important. I know Jay Bear has talked a lot about this in his research that people will often respond to and buy from the fastest to respond, even if they're more expensive. And, you know, if you eliminate SDRs, do you eliminate your S- your uh, speed to lead? A lot to say on this topic. The first one is I challenge when those reports were studied, when those reports were actually made, who made them, and what types of leads they were following up with. I think that just the, the a blanket statement we need to follow up in five minutes um, and not understanding the underlying mechanics of how the study was done, who was involved with it and things like that, I think, uh, can lead to some misguided decisions. And so first off, in terms of the speed to lead, my assumption is that that's the, I think when I look back, that study was done in 2016. It was also done by an outbound SDR firm, which, uh, has some biases to it potentially. No, I'm talking about a new one from, from Jay Bear and associates that was done, I think last year. Cool. Yeah. So let's, let's talk through it. 
Um, there's a couple of different reasons that companies use SDRs in this part of the process. The main one, in my opinion, is that there is a high volume of low quality stuff. All MQLs get treated the same for the most part. They all go into one funnel. The conversion rate to a closed one deal is way less than 1%. And so you need a low cost, inexpensive resource to book those meetings because you can't waste your sales professional's time that's making $200,000 a year searching for a needle in the haystack to close one deal out of a thousand that they call. So you, they, that's why the SDR was instituted. If you fix the quality inside of that funnel and you say, okay, now we're converting a lead to a customer at 8% instead of at 0.1%, which is 80 times greater and a very common metric that we see between a low intent conversion and a declared intent conversion, then perhaps your sales team would be pumped to talk to a deal that they win you know, one out of every five to seven conversations. So that's one thing. The next thing is that we need to stop optimizing for speed to lead and start optimizing for speed to meeting booked. And it's a big difference because the companies that optimize speed to lead, I fill out forms all the time for our customers sometimes. And I secret shop them and I see what they're doing. And what is the most common thing? I fill out the form. Yeah, they hit their SLA and they get back to me in four minutes but the response is not personalized. There's no calendar link. I have to respond back and forth with an SDR seven times to book a meeting. And by the time I actually get to that step, I'm so frustrated that I don't even book it or that you've lost my attention. I've moved on to the next thing. And so if you change the metric from speed to lead, speed to response to speed to meeting booked, it might also change the behavior of what you do, which is another thing of why metrics drive different behaviors. And so I think that if you separated the different funnels and you had declared intent, you had low intent lead gen, you had ABM outbound, you had events, perhaps you would have a different sales process and a different resource allocation across those things based on the buyer intent that's happening. If a customer comes in today inbound to your website to buy 100K ACV SaaS and raises their hand and say, hey, I want to talk to your sales team about buying this stuff and they are a decision maker based on their job title inside of a company that you can qualify based on all the firmographic data that's available, why do you need to have a 15-minute conversation with a kid that just got out of college to determine whether or not they're qualified? It's clear that they are. And so in that case, we show them a direct calendar link. They can book a calendar with their AE. They get automatically qualified, and they automatically become an opportunity. And speed to meeting booked at that point is five seconds instead of taking five minutes just to follow up and send an email. And so by changing the, changing the metric, it, it, it's very interesting across all things in B2B and in like your personal life everywhere. You change what your goal is or how you're measuring success of something, it immediately changes the way that you approach the problem or the, the task. And so I think those yeah. are some of the reasons why. And then what would be an appropriate use of an outbound SDR to trigger outbound sales to target accounts based on intent data that justify having a $100,000 person in addition to the sales rep, go outbound based on the deal, deal opportunity or overall account uh, lifetime value. And then directing those people to the right place, which would then lead you to think that, hey, we, we need way less of these people. Um, that's a tough conversation for people to have internally. But gosh, a lot of people are talking to me about it right now. One of the most common things I hear is, hey, we don't think that we're getting the right ROI on our SDR team. And I'm like, you probably aren't. You got too many, you, you would if you had five, but you have 25 and that's part of the issue here. Interesting. So Chris, we're, we're I know we're running out of time, but I, I would love it if you could kind of summarizing the move to new KPIs, maybe it's a hero KPI or something else. 
um, for business? What are the steps they can take? It seems like the first thing is changing the goal. The first step is changing your mindset. Okay. The, fir- the first step is going, like, going back, rewinding this podcast at the beginning and hearing me talk through why we did things in 2008 that we still do today and questioning why we did them originally and what has changed, which may make it not the right thing to do today. Changing your mindset around wh- about what marketing is supposed to do, about how we evaluate KPIs, about what is the overall goal, about whether we're running an assembly line or an integrated revenue team, whether we're targeting leads or accounts. We need to rethink the mindset first because if you don't, you're going to start to change the metrics. You're going to go through one month. You're going to back out and panic and say, gosh, we're doing something different than everybody else. And it's not working after three weeks. We're going to bail out because you haven't fixed the mindset really. And you're going to go back to doing the same shit you were doing before. So fix your mindset, then change the metrics based on what makes sense, based on the new world, the new mindset that you have. What are the goals that need to change here? What are we trying to do? We're trying to optimize to have a part of the process for demand creation, demand capture, and demand conversion. We want our sales team talking to companies and buyers that are in market to buy right now. We want to have the right resources and structure the right buying process based on the level of intent a buyer has. There's so many different things. And then what are the right metrics to change for that? You, I think using Hero Pipeline is one, but we have a bunch of different, both marketing and holistic go-to-market metrics that could be used in concert together about how to do it. And then lastly, once you change the metrics, if you do it the right way, it immediately will do one of two things. It'll immediately show you that some of the things that you're doing don't work right now. And I know that to be true because I do it over and over with companies when we go through a manual data analysis. And what do I hear every time? Oh, we thought that was happening, but we never looked at the data that way to to actually show it. This makes a lot of sense. It'll immediately show some of the things that aren't working and it will force your marketing team, your agency partners, or anyone else involved to do different stuff or the me- they're not going to hit the metric. And so by changing the metric, it immediately forces changes in tactical execution by changing the goal. That is the process. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it simple? Yes, it is. But it's not easy. Got it. Well, Chris, I mean, that's why I was excited to talk to you today because I mean, this is beyond your opinion, right? It's, it's, it's based on the work that you've done with like hundreds of companies and in a scientific approach. And uh, so the data speaks volumes for sure. And the case studies speak volumes. So thanks a ton for your insights today. I really enjoyed the discussion. Absolutely. Yeah. Some people think it's my opinion, but it's actually built around the experience of seeing more CRM instances and more CRM data than I think anyone in the world has over the past four years seen more B2B SaaS, Salesforce, this is over 100 of them. I've looked at the data. We've calculated a bunch of metrics. And still, a lot of people don't believe what I'm saying, which is why we're taking the next step about not making it, about making it true science, collecting this data in a scientific way, running statistics on it, aggregating it at a large scale, and creating insights that are undeniable. And I'm not biased to any of the outcomes. The data tells the story. The data tells you what, what the conclusions are. So... Uh, I'm excited to do that. I think there's far too much guessing and opinions and thinking about what we did at our last company that now we're going to repeat again at this company. I think there's a lot of that going on in go-to-market, and I think we need a lot more science and data. Yeah. Yeah, hey, Chris. Yeah, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for the insights, and I guess we'll see you on LinkedIn. We will. See you soon, Chip. Thanks. Thanks.